Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, <laughs> brought to you by Softlead. And Today, Brian. And Brian. That's right. Hello. Today, we're going to start off by introducing everyone to Brian Heesky, our talented AV, video, audio, computer. Just call me a nerd, man. You want to say the word nerd? Dude, he's you the want to say nerd guy. so bad. You're like, like, a cool, like a cool tech guy, which oh. is... Probably, I mean... That's pretty pejorative to most of the tech guys out well, there, right? Well, as I said that, I was like, man, we're <laughs> I feel like literally Brian's 100 the, feet away from our tech really guys' office. He's really the quintessential tech guy in reality. Yeah, well, I, I want to be... He just has that green beret exterior. Like, literally, when I was six years old, I decided I wanted to be Hawkins from Predator. Like, the dude right. with the glasses and, like, the little, like, radio, you know? It's like, hey, man, I know he died first, but he was, like, making comms, like, doing cool stuff, reading Did the you book. actually... You're not being facetious at all right now? No, not really, no. But, okay. So so I became I became Hawkins from Predator. That's pretty cool. I kind of dig that, actually. <laughs> I, I dig that, too. Some good introspect. Yeah, I'm impressed I, that you had that aha moment at such a young age. Well, it was the first R-rated movie my parents ever let me watch, so I had a lot of aha moments watching Predator. That's fair. <laughs> see, my, the first R-rated movie I ever got to see was my dad sitting me down at age seven, telling me not to tell my mom about what was about to happen and watching stripes with me <laughs> on like a Friday night nice. and me thinking, holy shit, this is the greatest movie <laughs> ever made. And then your life like, was just downhill from there. Yeah. Explosions, yeah. naked women, Bill Murray, funny, like yep, every possible ingredient. Trying to recreate it ever since. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the story of my bar mitzvah. Did you, <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys drink whiskey the whole time, too? <laughs> uh, I wish, man. Manischewitz, of course. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, in any event, everyone should meet Brian. Maybe we'll put a picture up on the website. And uh, Shirtless picture of Brian. Mm. Well, Brian's been integral to the increasing quality, both audioly and visually. Well, he's crushing it on video. The The podcast has actually really stepped up its game, I yeah. think, maybe. Have we received that feedback? I don't know if we've received that feedback. It definitely sounds better. I the mean, videos the, are definitely... The content might not be any more improved. Oh, no, it's always going to be shitty because it's us on right. it. But the, the video is definitely stepping up. Although we did... Get him some good equipment. So that it's probably all the equipment. It's actually, yeah, it's, it's it's like normally when you see a really nice painting, you think, "Man, I bet that guy had kick-ass paintbrushes." <laughs> Dude, that's exactly what it is. Right? <laughs> it's like, man, that shooter he had the best gun ever. Must have. Well, that's, that's what makes your gun or makes a good shooter is Absolutely. like slide yeah. cuts, a, a trigger, really I'm, expensive equipment, and lightweight. Like and lightweight. if you spend money. But like a lot of shit that's lightweight, like right, tons yeah. of extra shit, but it's lightweight, so it's cool. The whole and bit. I think you need, as we were just discussing, a 45 degree like red dot sight. Absolutely. A, a 45 degree <laughs> canned red dot sight on an optic that's already one power. <laughs> Do you? It's like doubled up. Can you even have a gun that doesn't have that? Like I don't. I've never seen one. <laughs> It's not one that shoots straight. Maybe Mazer and Poser that I would use. That's Poser for sure. USA. Right? Yeah, if, if you don't have three Population ways to sight in your rifle, you're pretty fucked up, actually. 
It normally takes me between four and five hundred rounds to zero my weapon because <laughs> I I really want to get Nat's ass, you know, get that last little bit of resolution out yeah, there. It's right. that's tough. Though. Like, I'm in the same boat, but it's mostly because like I can't hold a group smaller than like eighteen inches. So mm-hmm. you know, well that has to do with the the the, the delirium tremens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's You're like, well, I'm not going to drink on this shooting day. Yeah. It's always a mistake. <laughs> about 400 rounds before I get that six beer in me and everything starts to even out. So get some aim and juice away. in me. Yeah. <laughs> aim and juice. <laughs> Man, we, uh, I remember in one shooting package, we were getting to the range and like, my team chief wanted to do like range PT before like two hours before we started our range days, we would get a workout in. Like he made the unit coaches come out like and coach us through a workout. Dude was uh he loved life, we'll just say that. But all of us were like crushing pre-workout before the workout. <clears throat> Shot groups definitely did not affect or reflect positively <laughs> on those plans. And everybody's like, why am I shaking like shit? <laughs> We worked out all morning and took four scroops of no explode. <laughs> I said scroops. You said scroops? Yeah, not scoops. Mm. It's like a group of scoops. <laughs> yeah, scoops and groups. Just, that yeah. could be like a workout it's, plan named scoops and groups. Mm. You know, it's like speedball and Jack 3D. Just right. <laughs> the good stuff. Yeah, what if exactly. you made a pre-workout that like could be snorted? Hmm. That they make that already. Yeah. It's, it's called cocaine. Called cocaine. <laughs> And it's not approved yeah. by the FDA, actually. Exactly. It's pretty well. Right behind ephedra. Yeah, it's Colombian it's, Bam Bam. It's pretty well <laughs> regulated, I think. Can you absorb caffeine through like mucous membranes? I'm sure. I don't know. I think so, right? I mean, it passes. It's, that's a blood brain barrier kind of thing, right? Yeah, like we should ask Bill. He's really the go to on that. What right. I don't want to hear is that he's having Jared Bullock. He's like, yeah, I've been having Jared Bullock snort Viverin <laughs> for the last right. three months to see how it works out. Science. The, yeah. The softly pre workout bullet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's selling it in little baggies instead of tubs. Yeah, or the pre workout enema. I feel you like know, you just put it in and just it, it yeah. slow release Wait, throughout the workout. Or enema. Because the enema could be really, really messy. Like, you've got this tube that you take to the gym, you shoot that thing in. Yeah, you go to the gym and you immediately know if there's softly athletes at that gym when you go in the bathroom. It's like, <laughs> fucking hey, man. There's just poo water <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. Hey, buddy, can you come pump me? <laughs> no softly, you know, on every oh. gym in the U.S. Softly spoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> I well, think we're going to have to restart this episode as no, well. No, no, we're fine. We'll just let it go. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just pull, it, pull it back to center a little bit. They're like, man, all they did was talk about poop jokes right? and drugs. Well, what Amen. else we got? Yeah, that is kind of what we do. Yeah. I mean, poop when, I, when I interviewed for this company, Aaron was literally like, hey, man, you're going to have a video camera. There's going to be sweaty dudes around. And you're going to take video of said sweaty dudes. <laughs> and then you're going to watch said video over and over and right. over again, mostly to trap music. In Sometimes slow motion. Not. In slow motion. <laughs> right. You're going to be tweaking them boobs, you know? <laughs> you have to like That's what I do. Photoshop us and make us look better and There's all no, that. I'm not that skilled at Photoshop. You're not. Like that. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Continuing education. So, so that's how uh, that's how Aaron won you over was the shirtless the, the allure men that were of sweaty dudes in slow motion. It's like, man, this Explains is the summation lot, of man. all of my life's tribulations right here. <laughs> I don't remember that part of Predator. <laughs> that's, that's deleted scenes, man. That's when John Claude was in it. The Lost Files. The Lost Files of Predator. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Well. So, so what's new with you, Brent? I heard you just got back from. Uh, I just got back from Promised Africa, Land, the, my homeland. Um, Somebody's gonna get super pissed at me saying that, guaranteed. Yeah, I just got back from Bali. Um, we kind of had a, a plan out there that didn't quite come to fruition, but we still got some of the goals done that we wanted to. So. We're planning on launching a video and blog series. This will mostly be a blog series, um, kind of an ad- adventures with some type of purpose. So long story short, we want to start trying to help out with some humanitarian aid efforts in places that most people don't want to go. So war zones are explicitly what we're, we're picking. So we went out to Mali, and our goal there is presenting clean drinking water solutions to the local populace in the form of water purification bottles. We don't want to be like monetizing wells or providing infrastructure, which may cause civil wars over said infrastructure. Yeah. Which is always a good idea. Yeah. We ran into that in the Congo. Did you guys start a civil war over a well? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> no, we, we don't. But uh, there were some new groups that had come in previously. Um, yeah, you can totally fuck shit up trying to help. Yeah, you know, that's that's really the story of Africa, right? Is right. The law of unintended consequences. Like, right. it's really easy to say, like, well, if we just apply this thing that common sense would dictate would be a good Yeah, you're like, oh, input. there's no clean water. Let's just build a well and set up a purification system. Yeah, and but then, it's, like, hundreds of people die a week later. And you're like, oh, man, we kind of fucked that one up. No, it's like, it's funny. I, I can't remember who I was talking to. Somebody that worked for an NGO, like Invisible Children, I think, they, they can't, the counter Joseph Coney NGO. And the girl said something prescient, which was, you know, in Africa, it's basically like you're in kindergarten, right? If you bring something, you better have brought it for everybody, yeah. at least in a region. You know, if you brought a piece of candy, did you bring one for everybody? That's the only way you can eat it. Same thing with that. If That's an oversimplified bring, explanation, but it, it worked pretty well, yeah. Yeah, what, like for radios, like they would they they brought radio systems. The Catholic Relief Services brought radios to provide like early warning for these militia groups coming to the towns. Right. And so if you didn't bring a radio into one of these small towns, guess where everybody else went? To one of the bigger towns. So you would just wipe a town off of the map overnight by erecting this radio somewhere else. Same thing with wells, you know? Yeah, oh, for sure. So, so that, that was kind of, a, we knew that we wanted to, um, we, we had two things that we wanted to do. One was we wanted to see if we could help in any like counter poaching initiatives. And then two was the clean drinking water solutions. And so we had a loose plan of who, who we were going to work with and, and through to get it done out there because uh, we don't look the part of the locals, we'll just say, in the places that we wanted to help. And... Uh, as always, plans changed once we hit the ground. You know, you can't put in a well because there's, you know, tribal dynamics that don't support it. Um, you can't go to the areas that you want to help in because people will immediately know that you're not from there and you'll just disappear off the map. Um, actually, in when I was there uh, in Nigeria, there were two Americans and two Canadians that get got kidnapped and it, it's so commonplace there. Like people don't even hear about it. It's yeah, just like, sure. it's literally a blip on the radar of CNN. It's like, I was, you know, eating my breakfast at my hotel and look up on, on the, uh, on the telly. And, uh, it's like, Hey, two Americans, two Canadians gone. And it sucks. And this is a sidebar, but it sucks. Um, if you're American and that happens, cause like we don't, the American no, government it, does well, not it's, it's negotiate to our benefit, with terrorists. Though. 
It's so the data has, has shown that it's not really. Yeah, the data shown the survivability rates for countries that don't pay the ransoms is oh much, no, there's much, there's no survival. Like you don't get kidnapped as an American; they just shoot you. Well, look, in countries where they do kidnap you for ransom, yeah, like France, for example, has a policy of like paying ransoms, right? And they get their people back. Now the question is, like, is that incentivizing? Oh, hundred percent, it is. It's it's it, a big business. It there. is, but it's also they aren't just going to stop because the country stop because insurance companies people raise the money to get their right. people back. So as a, as a citizen of a country overseas, like America does not have your back in that regard. Like if you get, if you get captured, I by mean, someone, they'll try to come get you if they ever can. But the reality is like you get sold up river, you're gone, man. Yeah. Like, generally your parents have to like raise the money yeah. or whatever, the million or the 500,000 or something yep. and talk about horrible. It could be up to like five, 8 million bucks. Well, talk about horrible for your parents, right? Like not only like, or your family, not only they having to raise this money they may or may not have to get you out, they could they literally have directly funded terrorism. Terrorism, yeah. Yeah. They've directly like, there's funded no, the there's next no guy like, Oh killed. yeah, we're intermediary. No, no, no. You you yeah, gave you this money that shit to wired it. Yeah. <laughs> Western Union to terrorists. So but yeah. It's, kidnapping is a big big problem. Oh yeah, big part business. of the world. It's very complex too. People don't really think that like there's a giant commander of Al Qaeda that's like there's a white guy here. Go snatch his ass up, but that's not quite how it works. No, he so just somebody sees you and they decide, well, I can grab this dude because he's rolling solo in the wrong spot, and they he figure looks, out what to he do. He looks with like you easy later. target. Yeah, and uh, that's that's a lot of what it is. Is like you stay in the a lot of because <clears throat> I re read about most of the kidnappings before um, I took off. Just obviously didn't want to get kidnapped. So you know, if you're in the same spot for a lot like long months on end eventually like you know you dance with the devil long enough eventually you're going to get bit right so you stay in the same spot for a long time eventually somebody's going to grab you which is why you know we're not moving into a war zone anytime soon why is that though that you would have to be there for a while why wouldn't it just be like hey even if i'm just passing through no that totally happens too it's just your in, your chances like, the more time you're on the ground the greater sure. your chances increase of getting kind of rolling back, the dice right? every day. Yeah, but so roll when you're the dice there, enough, your number is going to come up. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know, riding a motorcycle. It's not if you crash, it's when, right? Sure. Like if you if you're living there out in the wild in the boonies, like eventually somebody's going to grab you up. But um, what's interesting? So the the spin that we're not spin even that's a really bad word for it. The um, the dynamic that we want to highlight essentially is like. You know, it's, it'd be really easy for us to write an article like, look how awesome this is. We went and hung out in a war zone or like, you know, I, I, did, I didn't get close to the war, right? Like we were working with the people there to help. I was in a, a relatively safe area of Africa the whole time. But it'd be easy to spin that as like, you know, I cruise out in a land cruiser. I get close. One of the neighborhoods I was like driving in because when I wanted to see the cities, um, somebody had been kidnapped out of there in October. So it'd be super easy for us to be like, oh yeah, check out how, how badass this was. We went here and did this thing and like, we're super cool. Cause you know, we went to Africa and staged some cool photos, but the reality is the people that we were working with, they live there. Like they don't get to leave and come home after a week. They, you know, they're, they're in that shit 24, seven, 365, the entirety of their life. And so even in those, you know, really terrible situations of a war torn country where, you don't even, as a local, you live there and you don't even know like who or why the fighting is going on necessarily. But these people are helping, you know, other communities in their country to rebuild. Oh, cool. You're going to try to bring, you know, clean water solutions here. You want to try to help, 
you know, establish a school or help out a school that already exists, we can help you do that. And so there's just incredible people that are there continuing to put their lives on the line. You know, it's it's their countrymen, but it's basically perfect strangers. You know, they don't they don't have that same unity necessarily everywhere that we do in the U.S. where it's like, you know, something bad happens and the whole country goes to Texas to help out after a hurricane or, or whatever it is. Right. But there's definitely people that are still willing to go. And because so few people are willing to go, it makes it that much more dangerous, if that makes sense. Sure. So what was it? about Africa, you know, what, what was kind of the drive behind this instead of any other type of kind of charitable endeavor? Yeah. So, well, Softleet's got a bunch of charitable endeavors going on, you know, at home. But sure. the reality is, you know, Softleet was founded and is currently largely staffed by a lot of soft guys that, you know, Brian spent a year, six months. How much time do you have in Africa? Oh, Africa, six months. Yeah, so Brian's got six months there. I've got over a year in Africa. Uh, Doug's got six months? Well, yeah, in between, Doug's, like, contracting. Well, yeah, he's been there contracting. He's done, like, you know, that weird hodgepodge of, like, pseudo-humanitarian, pseudo, like, security work. Doug actually partly grew up in Uganda. Did he really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um so we, we've got some ties back, right? I and can't if believe Doug hasn't told us about this. Dude, I feel like if Doug partly grew up in Uganda, he would just immediately grow dreadlocks and try to play that card like at every given opportunity. Yeah, back in like the bad days, like there's a lot of interesting tales that Doug will tell you about that. Yeah. In the bad days? Of Uganda. That's when he was there? <clears throat> yeah. Well, when the how have we not heard of this is like when I asked how you met Doug and you're like through Tucker Max and I'm like wait what the fuck let's let's back up here how do you, how do you know Tucker Max <laughs> sounds like future podcast yeah definitely uh, Doug, Doug, Doug's African grow, grow, like growing up adventures is a it involves the like Archbishop of of Uganda and that's a story you'll you'll hear at some point is it true. Well, who knows, well, right? That's the, the weird only thing, thing that messes Doug up is, a good story. Doug's story is a witness, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> to be fair though. On on Doug's behalf, like you'll think Doug is totally full of shit on something, and then you'll bump into somebody, and you're like, no, that's like a hundred percent. Like his most outlandish stories are true. No, I've never ever. ever I've never caught him in a lie. No, ne- never. I'm, uh, sh- I'm sure no, he. Does I was, lie, I was just but. joking. Like Doug, Doug. That is part of the mystique of Doug is the fact that he will tell these crazy stories about in crazy situations, like. There we were at the, some whorehouse on the Nevada border and like driving Ferraris, doing donuts in the parking lot. And you're like, there's zero percent chance that occurred. And then you talk to the dude he's with. It's like, oh, yeah, man. As a matter of fact, if anything, he downplayed like the craziest moments. Of that yeah, evening. exactly. And you're like, so, yeah. But anyway, so anybody who's been to Africa can tell you it can. It, well, depending on where you go, I'm sure. But it can be pretty captivating. Like you go there. It's, it's a different experience. The people are, you know, kind of different than anywhere else. A strong sense of community. Um, if you, if you let it take you, so to, so to speak, you, you get to see and experience a lot of really cool stuff. And so we talked about where we wanted to go, how we wanted to help out. And it was just kind of an easy thing, not easy, but a natural thing to go, well, let's see, you know, if, if we can help in some, um, kind of forgotten conflict zones in Africa. And that's, that's the other piece is that everybody kind of knows it, but it's, there's an undertone of it, but really the Afri- the conflicts in Africa are a persistent. They don't ever end and B are largely forgotten. You know, when uh, <clears throat> SF guys get killed in a country and or soft guys get killed in a country in Africa, people are like, we're in Africa. What the hell are we doing in Africa? Yeah. Well, I think the people in Africa are some of the warmest, kindest people I've met. Dude, they're amazing. And it's, it's really 
sad tragedy when you think about sort of the, 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 the fallout of colonialism from hundreds of years. It's a, in certain areas where I was, largely people had just, they had never been able to rule themselves for like hundreds of years, centuries. So they simply forgot. Even decades, really. They forgot. Yeah. You know, like you, you, you subtract the ability to like have agency over your own life for a couple generations and you forget how to do so. And then people are wondering why you don't like go help yourself. And the answer is like, cause you don't know where to start. Like, like things that seem obvious to us, things that are embedded in our culture, like we should educate ourselves or we should do this or we should do that or just totally foreign. Cause that's well, it's not a part of their culture anymore. No. And when you're, you're subsistence living, you're just trying to like literally find something to eat or like produce something to eat that day. Yeah. Your, your scope of issues become, you go from worrying about like, are my kids going to be well educated to like, can my kids eat today? And then even a step further is like, how do I stay alive today? Well, yes, but also like that was one of the things that shocked me is my, before I went, I assumed that people that were at the poorest level, the subsistence people had like zero free time to create. That's part no, of the that's reason. that's not the case. Yeah, they have enormous amounts of free time. Like they'll go out and they'll go do their farming in the morning and walk and pick cassava or whatever, come back, they'll do their cooking. But then they have like the whole afternoon and the evening to do things. But the thought of like maybe we should get together and build this thing or maybe we should like do area improvement or whatever. It's just not, it's, it's just, like the, it doesn't occur to him, you know, because well, it's staring at the blank page kind of to yeah, a degree exactly. where you're like, like man, I wish it was better, but like, you, like what's step one to that, right? No. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely not their fault. It's just more like a, and everybody, even the NGOs and us come in and we shrug at the same blank page, you know, where do, oh, yeah, where do we start? You kind of just pick something and it's like business, right? When you're like, oh, I want to start a business. How do I start? And like, you, you have a couple. It's like, well, you just yeah. like pick something and start going, right? And so we we picked um, something that's pretty universal to conflict zones. And that's like, you got to be able to drink water on a pretty daily basis or you die, right? And so yeah. um, if you can't drink clean water, you're going to drink whatever water you can come across. And so our plan was, all right, well, let's let's stop people from getting sick. Let's see if we can get them drinking cleaner water than they previously were. It's kind of a, the simplest solution that we could get down to. That's yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, it's like financially a, viable to help as well. There was a town we were in that uh, some NGOs had come in and built a big hydroelectric dam on the river. Oh, wow. Like, hey, we should like, I mean, I, it wasn't like a gigawatt kind of thing, but it produced power enough to power the city. And reliably too, because that's reliable yeah, power is a big deal in all of Africa, well, all of North Africa that I've experienced. And they pulled it to hubs like these little substations, so yep. people, pretty much everybody, could get free power in the city. The problem is, is the majority of people who live there didn't have anything that needed power, oh, right? Yeah. So like, that's not v- valuable to them because they no. may have lights, but like maybe not. And so after a few years, after they pulled out, like. The, the dam just like went well, to there's, waste? Well, there was an intake into the dam that filled up with silt from the river. And it would have taken a crew of 15 dudes a day to like go down there and dredge it out, right? Well, right. instead of doing that, the, the dam stopped working. So the response wasn't like, let's go dredge it out. The response was like, let's just go rat fuck this for all the copper, you know, and rip it all out, sell it, and then we'll have something. But it makes sense. Like if you weren't ever using electricity... Right, like, like why, why is this valuable thing here sitting there for just the rich people yeah. to use? 
like let's spread that wealth around kind of thing. So yeah. no, you know, totally and, and your outside observer would be like, "Whoa, those just those just stupid." And it's like, well, not from their point of view. No, and so, <clears throat> that was kind of where we were at. Was you can come up with some gigantic, like gargantuan projects out there if you oh, want, gosh. right? Like you're like, hey, let's let's start some farms or like people need food. Let's figure that out, right? Like we're gonna plant six hectares of farms. And that's just a, such a gargantuan undertaking that, like, one, you're not going to see effects that quickly. And then, two, for a lot of those people, it's like, especially in war zones, because that's, that's where we want to focus is, like, how do we get clean water solutions into active conflict zones where nobody else wants to go? Yeah. Um, when you're just trying to literally, like, make it day to day or, like, make it through that town or whatever it is. Like you're not going to go open up a farm in like a conflict zone, right? And, but there's hundreds and thousands of people living in these places that definitely need it. That's the beauty of like this project, though. It's like the basis of life, right? You're giving the basis of life, and like the way you're starting it is something that's mobile. It's like it's water bottle. So you know, war displaces people. So right. As they're displaced, they're still able to sustain life. Right. So exactly. It's nothing. You know, super sexy. It's just simple, provides life, and it's a way to give back. So. Yeah. The the nice thing too is that when you start talking, like Brian brought brings up the NGOs, and I immediately think of UN because the UN always tries to manage the NGOs in the area. And if you want to find a way to just like funnel money into Nowhereville, it's like do anything with the UN. Oh yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, you you want to like spend a dollar helping people, you better bring like fifteen bucks to like give that to the UN. Spend we, the dollar helping. We bought all our fuel from the from the UN that we had sold to the UN or given them for free, like the United States. So like we were buying helicopter fuel that the United States had provided to the UN and they were like purchasing it back for them. So it's like we're double buying gas. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was taught so I had a um like a local driver guide that was driving me around um in Bamako and he was we I was just asking him I, I told him for stars, I'm like, hey man, like I've I've lived like in the bush. I've lived in nice accommodations. You're not going to take me anywhere that like I don't want to go. Just like don't get me kidnapped, right? So, um, but I was asking him. You know, he owned owned his vehicle and was like a tour guide. It's like, well, you know, asked him about the vehicle and all that. So he shows me where he buys them from a local dealership, and he's like, yeah, this guy was sold out for like three months or four months because the UN came like showed up and bought like two hundred. Land cruisers like day one on the ground, like, yep, yeah, we need 200 land cruisers. Like, just bought all of them, right? Like, all of the <laughs> land cruisers in Bamako, then owned by the UN. I hear that, and I'm just like, man, like, those motherfuckers had no idea what they were gonna do. They just immediately showed up and were like, give me all the land cruisers, stat, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some dude went out and was like, I bought every land cruiser in Bamako, paint them white, and put these big black letters on them. Yeah, yeah, the UN cruise around in the cities and on tiny little camps out in the middle of nowhere, but not off the camp. The UN commander that where we were at was absolutely the worst. Like he was, I want I want to say what even country he was at because you'd probably be able to identify where they were. At. Yeah, but um, he wore this like UN blue ascot with his uniform and like had like always perfectly coiffed. We're like, dude, we're in the middle of Africa, man. Like, could I get this from your guys? Like. You have a, a unit that's just just designed for this, which is road manage, management. Like we're yeah. we want to like get up this road, and it's like totally watched out. Could you like send some of your literally earth moving machines that is designed and paid for to do this thing up there? Um, hmm, no, we're we're planning to be over here 
instead. Yeah, yeah, no, we get that. But could you like after you're done with over there, could you like go over here? Um, no. Well, and you're, like, what they you can't. They have do? no freedom of movement whatsoever. Like they're given a directive, and like they ha- like the ground force commander there can't make any actual decisions. Like yeah. he's basically just overseeing shit that was already planned out. Yeah. So it's you know it's. It is the giant bureaucracy of like all bureaucracies, right? You've got so many hands in that pot, all all of the chiefs and a few of the Indians, and they just don't get shit done. So anyway, the overarching question a lot of the time was like, oh, why don't you guys do this through the UN? I was like, man, like if I had to do this through the UN, we would just never get anything done, right? Like by yeah. the time we got water, clean water solutions into these areas, all the conflict would be done, right? It'd be like the end of the world and the apocalypse came and finally our water bottles show up. Yeah. So anyway, that was my UN beef. But no, um, man, it's, 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 it's super great. The way we're attacking that you're, you're attacking the problem. I mean, like Nick said, you basically have to start at the root kind of work yeah, its well, way up and water is still like a big problem in a lot of those areas and people don't even realize well, that. People don't realize like we shit into cleaner water than most people in the world drink. Yeah. Um, and that's not just like an Africa problem that's all over the place. But, um, you know, it's a real problem that we don't even think about. Like access to not just food, but like protein, you know, in Africa, you think most people think of Africa as like wild animals galore and no, like they killed all fauna of them. They, yeah, they literally They're hunted all them all to extinction. Yeah. We, I saw, I was in Africa for six months. I was on foot of, for four months of that. I saw a bunch of monkeys, but I never saw a pig or a deer on foot. Now I saw no. them on helicopters. Did you? Like we would see like Ugandan cob running through forests and stuff like that, or through the through the plains, and occasionally we'd see a, a boar, but like never. Never just on the ground. And, and the people were telling us, yeah, 30, 40 years ago, you know, it was just like teeming with, with oh, life yeah, here. Sure. But all these people, mo- you know, moved in and started expanding and stuff like that and just got totally hunted out. And, you know, what some of the people told us is like what really needs to happen is uh, like dirty, terrible, uh, a- like agribusiness ranching, you know, like, like, oh, really? like the sort of stuff that people protest against in the United States, like right. the, the sort of cattle farming that we, you know, people, are that's like, no, what needs to be evil. over there. Cause like so many, every child you see has a big distended belly cause they don't have the proper amount of protein in their diet. And that's like, that affects everybody forever. Cause that's like minus 15 IQ points, like right off the bat. Cause your brain isn't <laughs> developing. Pro- it right. is. No, it's true. Yeah, you yeah. know I mean? It it's like, so now development it's yep. affects development and it's just a self, this hugely negative feedback loop or positive feedback loop that is negative, I should say. Um, But yeah, it's like there's so many, uh, so many little things that need to be fixed. Yeah. And you're not, it's, it's outrageous to think that you're going to really like fix the problem. You're really just trying to help the individual in reality is kind of what I found. When you try to take too big of an undertaking, you're kind of doomed to failure. You know, if you set the bar that high and it fails and you're like, well, what'd we get done? Like nothing. But you know, even if like, let's say we ship in a bunch of these uh, water purification bottles and the truck gets robbed with like a thousand of these things in it and it never makes it to the destination. It's not like whoever stole those is going to go like burn them. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's, almost like we can't lose like we ship these things in and somebody shows up and they're like hey we got a gun you don't and we're taking the water bottles it's like okay cool like they're gonna get distributed whether we like it or not right like it's gonna yeah. happen um 
but yeah, I think it'll be a good project. We'll get some good, um, the way, the reason that we can fund this is just content generation. So hopefully people want to read about it. Hopefully nobody gets angry that we're helping other countries outside the U S and not keeping the money at home. But you know, I'm sure it'll offend somebody, but fuck them. (laughs) (laughs) We're not offending someone. We're not doing something right. I think. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's reasonable to say. Yeah. To a degree. And if someone's offended by helping people in Africa, like literally fuck them, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Right. I mean, you're, we're, you know, we're going to hear it though. You know, that somebody's going to be like, man, you know, 20 veterans a day are committing suicide. You're not doing anything for veterans. Like, man, like that's not the case, but like, well, also we're still doing things you. for veterans. Yeah, we're still doing yeah, you, We're just not. That's the thing is it's not a zero sum game, right? Like just cause you help one group of people doesn't mean you can't help another or just because you don't help one group because of whatever reason doesn't mean that you're not helping another. And that's cool as well. Life is a zero sum game. Life is always a zero sum game. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that that's the other part of it too, is that there is validity in the sense that, when you have too many charities like focusing on the same thing, you come super convoluted. Well, not only to become super convoluted, but even if those organizations are running efficiently themselves, like as a group, you have tons of organizational overlap. Right. You know, that is ultimately all kind of like funneling into the same place. Sort and of. So, like, Charitable, I mean, I'll let you finish your, your your statements, but I'll get back to what I was going to say. Sorry, that's fine. Um, yeah, so charitable competition, in my opinion, in my experience, is a negative. Like, in, as a the reason it it I say that is because it sometimes the incentives of charities are like not. They're in fundraising and they're in like having things demonstrable to show. Yep. So it does become zero sum. Like, so if there's two organizations that oh, are providing the same thing, does. one NGO will like literally try to like thwart the efforts of the other because yep. it, it. Yeah, or they end up spending screws. more on advertising, like, and yeah. less of that money ends up going to help whatever people or cause that those charities are focused on. Yeah, I saw two NGOs that were providing the exact same service, but like one NGO is doing it better. And they were. They're like, hey, we should just come together like Voltron and create this like super network of these things we're trying yep. to provide. And like the other one's like, oh, absolutely not. Like if we do that, A, we've like accomplished what we set out to accomplish in this area, which means the money's going to get turned off. Right. And B, like I can't go back to our our donators, our, our benefactors and say like, we did this. It's like we did this and they did this. Well, why didn't I give my money to them? It sounds like they're the one that brokered this deal. So – it's very weird incentives. It, it, it that becomes goes on. extremely weird too when it's out in the open like that, and you see the peak behind the curtain. Because I've, <clears throat> I've literally seen. You know, we have a nonprofit that um, Softleet supports directly, uh, Silent Warrior Foundation. We've worked with other nonprofits very closely, and I've seen the peak behind the curtain. Not necessarily from those nonprofits, but other nonprofits calling them and going, "Hey, man, you're messing with my money here." You shouldn't be offering this type of assistance because like that's my business. Yeah. And it's a weird feeling when you're talking about like helping helping people's survivability in whatever way that is. And somebody calls you and they're like, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to help people yep. because it takes money out of my pocket. It's exactly. a weird fucked up thing to hear. But a lot of these gigantic NGOs, they're they're basically they're structured like for-profit companies, right? Like there's people making serious salaries, serious money exchanges hands, 
you know, like there's no profits coming out of it per se, but you still have a fat salary. Well, you can't have profits, so what you, but you can't, what you can't have is salaries. Right, exactly. Yeah. A lot of people forget that. Well, not only that, but I mean, <clears throat> you can you can even have distributions, I believe, as long as you're... Can you have distributions? Man, I, I know the number... Uh, all right, I don't want to say something that I'm, I'm not curious, 100% Brian, sure. that shit. But... You got your phone sure right are. there. Yeah, Google. let's find out. Let's um, I think the standards are like pretty low for what qualifies as actually like a nonprofit corporation. Oh, it's super low. Um, and maybe it's just a ratio of like how much money comes in. Yep, that's exactly versus what, it what is. maybe it's. I think I think it's thirty percent of your funds have to actually go to the cause. And I the, think it's based on donations too. Seventy percent maybe like are available goods, for administrative purposes. So. I thought if you were selling goods too, that that didn't the count. The non-distribution against. constraint states that a nonprofit organization is prohibited from distributing its net earnings among individuals who oversee the organization. All right, so I'm wrong on that. Yeah, but you're gonna but, have fat salaries, right? Well, and so certainly, like some organizations require someone with like very senior experience. Who That's should the be. argument, but it's hard. I don't know, man. There's just something weird about. I completely understand what you're saying with saying like, hey, man, if you want to run a $100 million a year organization or a billion dollar a year organization, you got to have a dude that is like experience and skill sets sure. requisite to do that. I mean, like top. like Red Cross International. Like, What do you think the guy that runs Red Cross should be making? That's a tough question. A lot. Yeah. I mean, it's like a major multinational corporation. It might be a nonprofit one. But, but there's I, a, I like no a lot of a sliding scale, though. Like a lot to some people is like 100 grand a year. A lot to some people is like a million a year. And so yeah. we're, I think there is not necessarily a limit to that. Well, yeah, we could say a hard line limit. But there's, in my opinion, if you're going to be doing that type of work, you should be like, you would think that person's going to be altruistic in the sense that if they're like a cutthroat businessman, they're probably not doing the best thing for the end state user regardless. That's true. But I mean... If you want to play, you know, kind of relative on relative, what if you get a guy who was a CEO making, you know, for like a Fortune 500 company, you know, making $15 million a year, and he's like, well, all right, I'll come run this nonprofit for like 500000 You know, for him, that's not necessarily being altruistic or not – that is being altruistic. That's yeah, a huge pay cut. Um, I understand that's a huge pay cut, but that dude also, not that he doesn't need, but like the lifestyle difference from him making like 80 grand sure. a year to half a mil a year, like there is no lifestyle difference, right? Right. So, but I mean, should he be, should he have to work for free? I don't think he should have to work for free, but I, it's, I think there's a weird, and I don't know what the number is, so I can't assign something to it. Yeah. But I think that if you're pulling out, if you're, if you're in the richest 1% based on your that salary alone, that's probably too much money. Well, but I think it's about, like Aaron said, about talent attraction, right? Like if you have a company that's a billion dollar, not a company, but a not-for-profit that, that has a yeah. billion dollar endowment or whatever, like finding the talent to manage, to manage that properly, you might be going to this f- you know Fortune 50 list of people that are used to being compensated $15 million. And it could be that you find somebody that's like, yeah, I'll do it, but like to keep the gas on in my like, you know, mansion or whatever, it's like eight or a thousand. Like I'll do it for like a million even or something. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, so let's, that's, that's an easy one to say, take the guy that was making 15 million a year and knock him down to 500. But 
you know, let's say you're someone who's a, like a senior executive living in like a New York suburb or something like that, and you're making three quarters of a million dollars a year, and you know your real estate taxes on your house that you know is expensive for most people, but like average for your area, you know, might be like fifty grand a year. Right. Um, if the, you know, <clears throat> maybe you get presented with an opportunity. Hey, come work for Red Cross. Come help manage. This, you know, this department where there's like a thousand people that are going to be working for you and, but you're going to have to take a pay cut. You know, if you're, the reality is like, if you've been making three quarters of a million dollars a year living in that area, like you don't have probably the funds to retire. You don't have the ability to say, Hey, I'm going to stay in this area. I'm going to stay in this house and just work for free or even work for a hundred grand a year. You know, your nut to cover might be like no, four I or totally five hundred understand a year the taxes. argument, but I still th- like in my mind, if you're going to take a donation from somebody, you're going to say, "Hey, like, give me a dollar so I can go do some good work." Yeah, like an overwhelming majority of that dollar should go to that good work, and that may be. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can still compensate people to the to the level that you need to attract like the quality people and do that right. Like, my biggest problem is when like. There's charities out there that like compensate their people well, and then they have an enormous amount of administrative overhead that just like literally shouldn't exist, plus marketing overhead. And then after they're done with all that, they Wait. spend nothing on the thing. Well, not only they the spend, t-shirt business but ineffectual is like the other issue, right? Yeah. Like if if you're if you're spending like billions of dollars and you're like curing the shit out of AIDS and cancer, it's kind of like all right, well, man, like they're getting shit done like on a mass level. But if you're not, if you're like the, like the Red Cross is this gigantic machine that like is going to keep rolling, right? Like too big to fail to a degree. If you're running that thing and like 10 cents on every dollar actually goes to help people, it's like, man, like something there is super ineffective. Sure. Well, and I mean, that seems to be kind of the basic standard for measuring a charity's, you know, operational efficiency, right? Like right. how much money is going to administrative purposes yep. and how much is actually going to the cause. Right. So... But the question is, can you look at it in in those terms, or is there a certain point where like raw dollar values count? You know, let's say you're running a charity that brings in a billion dollars a year. You know, if the CEO of that charity goes from making five hundred grand a year, or let's say a hundred grand a year to a million grand a year, that nine hundred thousand dollars isn't going to move the needle on those numbers at all, right? <clears throat> I'm not arguing that that guy should be paid that much, but I think my my big argument f- for saying like, hey, there should be a, some type of like, even if you put it on yourself, right? I'm not saying that we should have government regulation on this. I'm just saying like, if you're that dude that's like, I'm in charge of an altruistic endeavor, like that person should be altruistic in themselves. And so like, maybe that dude's maybe that's that dude's monthly nut is like 200 grand, right? Which is an astronomical number to 99% of the population. Like, man, if I was making 200 grand a year, like that'd be crazy. But if you have like two guys, two kids that are already in a good college, yada, 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 you're like, man, I don't want to derail my like current life plans, but I'd really like to go help this gigantic corporation. Well, do you think that it's beneficial for charities at large to limit the pool of ex- possible executives to people that are going to be that altruistic? Or do you think that it's more no, beneficial? Yeah, I, no, I think that to like have this sort of cutthroat people that would like maybe run, maybe they're like, I need a huge stack of money. I'm super greedy, and I'm going to approach this charity as and I like would run a business. their business super efficiently. Ultra efficiently, we're going to wring every dollar out, but I'm going to be compensated handsomely for that. Yeah. Like, is that more effect? Because I feel like the sort of person that you're talking about, the guy that's going to be like, 
I'm worth a million or worth two million on the open market, but I'm going to take the two hundred thousand dollars salary because he, I. You're saying just, he can just run the shit out of that company to where every dollar, like they're actually getting stuff done. Yeah, like I'm yeah, saying because like because the the their salary, their compensation, maybe. But if that's a true, small, small percentage of the overall right, right nut, you know, so like. I think that's where you, you you have to look at the relationship. Like you're running a, a you know billion dollar charity and you're pulling in, you're taking X and you're like, hey man, like this thing was putting half of what it was towards the actual charity before I came along. Yeah, I'm taking three times as much as the last dude, but I'm doing it at not double. Let's say I'm taking three times as much as the last dude, but it's running at like six X, you know, yeah. money yeah. to end state user. See, to me, then it's justifiable. In my opinion. The salary stuff is way less of an issue than all of kind of the side spending. You know, like oh, like how much money they're burning? How much money are they burning? The lavish right. events um, and all this yeah, sort exactly. of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Events. Yeah, and, and I fucking, think that's what I would, trips. I would say is more ridiculous than the uh, like a salary, right? Like you got to have a salary. You've got to pay your people. You should, you know, in order to keep people around, you're going to have to pay them, et cetera, et cetera. I'll but, hold you to that. Yeah, exactly. Eh, that's if you want to keep people around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like the lavish trips, I don't I don't even think we can name the charity legally that was doing it, but I think there was recent, like very recently a charity um, had some employees going on some very lavish trips, we'll just yeah, say. I mean, man, I can think of more than one. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, <clears throat> to me, that that's you know I'd rather pay a dude double to run that organization and say hey we're stopping the fuck fuck games and we're gonna really run this thing like a lean business rather than oh well we can so what's the value that you assign to that like it, or or is it kind of arbitrary business to business where it's like hey man like I don't know is it you cool can that, that you're putting out let's say like you're let's say you're putting out five hundred grand a year. And like getting a ton of shit done with that five hundred grand a year, but you're taking a million a year as a salary. Is that cool, or does is there some type of relationship that has to be inverse, where it's like you can take one percent of the charity's gross income, and that's cool as a salary? At the end of the day, I mean, you know, you can't. I don't think that you can build a model to like quantify everything, right? So, <clears throat> how can you quantify this guy's worth this much, or he he improved things by like? you know, X number of the Doug, yeah. the Doug factor. Well, and it's, it's easy. It's something that's extremely easy for a lot of people to get angry at. Right. Because this is sort of a one percenter deal. Right. So like I, I tried to Google just now the, the top salaries of people that are working in the nonprofit realm. Yeah. And every article that pulled up was clickbait. It was like, the top 10 insanely overpaid not profit execs or like well, I the think 15 a lavishly like when your life is insanely lavish and you're making shit tons of money and you're not effective in your work well I think there that's are, when yeah, people but that, get yeah, but, who, but that's to say like that's what I mean but none of these things talked about the effectiveness of these people right, oh, right it's right, like this right. guy got 2 million dollars to run a private foundation for the Hewlett Packard family or whatever, right. you know, well, who knows? Like they're, they that's a private foundation. Who knows what they're it. doing? Like who knows how effective he is, but they feel that he's worth $2 million a year and that's their business. You know, it's, that's their money. No, if it's privately funded, that's their business. But when you're like Joe Blow making 50 grand a year and you get solicited, solicited, Hey, donate to Red Cross. And they're like, yeah, man, that sounds great. And like you, you punt in a dollar and eight cents of that dollar actually goes to the end user. 
I think that's where people, not to say that that happens at the Red Cross. But sure. Well, and that's why it's important that charities have their books be transparent so that, you know, some of these other places can come in. Right. And, you know, rate those numbers and, you know, kind of create those ratios of like, hey, this is where buckets of money are going. We're way uh, off topic, by the way. Yeah. I do want to point totally out that the Red Cross, it. since we're using that as like an, uh, an example, well, I think it's has just, a very, just very just moderately. They, uh, Gail McGovern makes five hundred thousand dollars a year, and they manage three point four billion. So I think that's as, a few dollars. I think as a percentage, yeah. she makes less than she would be making. Well, and in the open to be clear, I don't think anyone here is saying the Red no, Cross. No, is, no, 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 no. But for, for that was like the biggest all. charity that we could think of. Which <laughs> yeah, is like, right. you know, not trying <laughs> right to use them as a whipping post because they're. When we get sued by the Red Cross next yeah. week after this. Well, I also think, I mean, the Red Cross, you know, a lot of places where charities have gotten into trouble, even with just kind of like public perception, is by forging like cor these corporate relationships, right? Where it's not just, you know, I mean, Red Cross, it's like blood drive or donate money, et cetera, where, hey, we're going to lend you, we're going to let you use our like logo. License gonna, the name License out. the logo, yeah. you know, to sell goods for profit, you know, now it's kind of like... That gets really convoluted. Yeah, like yeah. it's kind of going into like a dark area, I feel like. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure there's tons of people that would argue, hey, the more you can license and make money, like maybe the better it is for the charity. It kind of feels I, to I me think like... There's like a line to walk on soul. that. There's, there's a very, very popular, well-known veterans charity that like every time I've seen them in a position that they could like actually make a difference in what they say their state admission is. They don't, and another charity has to fill that gap. But right. what they do do is hand out a bunch of free T-shirts. Like, I've seen them all over the place. You've probably seen somebody wearing a T-shirt today. <laughs> yeah, right. But they don't do anything. I have been to a lavish event. They have event. a really good logo. Yeah, they do. And I've been to a lavish event that was put on by them. But, like, all my buddies that are Walter Reed, after getting blown up, they all got T-shirts, but they didn't get any assistance for their families, didn't get any assistance for themselves, nothing. Special Operations Warrior Foundation, the Silent Warrior Foundation, all Dude, those sorts of organizations. There's some amazing ones out there. That Brothers in Arms is one that yeah, nobody's man. heard of. Brothers in Arms has built houses for guys' families that were wounded no, or killed. Yeah. I mean, they've done some amazing work. Some of the small ones do some some really great shit. Yeah, I mean, but but they kept on waiting for like, you like, can't say that. You're going to have to bleep that out. It. You will damn literally it. have to bleep that I out. I will, yeah. Because they'll sue the pants off of us. <laughs> All right. I will mark that. Actually, just let me re rewind it. You're going to fuck Don't up rewind the whole it. thing. All right. Yeah, we'll, just, just, we'll just bleep You can it cut something. it out, right? Um, yeah. You could be like the burp. <laughs> All, right. All right. And start. Yeah. So anyway, going back, one of the questions I have for you, Brent, is, you know, was this seed planted during your time in Africa? Um, I mean, the, the seed of like wanting to go back was for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, it, you're in a weird position when you're in the military of like, you kind of want to help, but you also, you also can't overextend yourself or overpromise something or like, you know, if it doesn't fit within the scope of exactly what you're supposed to be doing there, it's really hard to have any leeway to be like, oh, man, like, I want to go do this. And the other piece is like, like Brian was saying, if you're going to bring a piece of candy, you got to bring one for everybody, right? So if like you hand a kid a water bottle, 
there's going to be swarms of kids running over to you that are like, where are the rest of the water bottles? Because like, I'd really like one too. And that kid's getting beaten down. <laughs> yeah, and if he's not like the biggest kid, he's going to get his ass whooped, right? And like some right. other kid. Like I literally have seen where you're like, oh, a little like beggar kid runs over to you. And that's what like people there call him. I'm sure somebody's like, they called him a beggar kid. But you hear the locals, they're like, oh, the beggar kids. Anyway, whatever. You hand some kid a, a, a coin or like a candy bar or whatever at a gas station. I've literally seen that kid like run off and like some other big kids just like, nope, that's my Snickers now. <laughs> and that guy, man, Donna Gosmane. Have you ever seen those Dude, videos? he's like a YouTube star. Yeah, just man. Like some we saw him a bunch of times. He ended up getting killed later on. But Really? Yeah. What is this? The Dawn of Gosman, you need to look at this up on YouTube, but it's this right. huge, like somebody put it to like, damn, it feels good to be a gangster, the music and stuff, but it's this huge, enormous, like, sat, like obese kid that's maybe 10 and like soldiers are going by, like throwing MREs and like all that sort of stuff. And this kid just goes over and like whips the fuck out of other kids and like and, takes their food. Yeah, takes their food and stuff like that. But it's like, hey man, he became sort of a mascot for guys in that area. But yeah. He got killed? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And like, did 20, you make that up? No, no. I'd heard from someone that would know that he'd gotten killed. And that's Damn, not verified them. That sucks. Yeah. Well. Well. All right. Anyway, yeah. So this um, seed plant. Yeah. I mean. So what's next? What I mean, what's right. the future? You, you went over once. Yep, went over once. So the the step one is always kind of like you got to build relationships, figure out what it's actually like on the ground. Can we actually affect anything? Can we help out, or are we just gonna? throw money at a problem that doesn't solve anything. And so I think we've got the relationships in place and built to where we can actually start bringing in. Um, when I was there, I saw a school that was set up by some of the locals um, that is for a I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. It's for a tribe that's like looked down upon by the rest of the tribes in the area. So their kids can go to school. Typically these kids are not educated whatsoever. So with that group, we want to try to help them continue with that model of helping other um, the tribes basically to set up these schools. But we're also ordering a good number. I don't remember if it's 500 or 1,000 of the water purification bottles. So we will actually be trucking those into conflict areas to be handed out by the locals. Cool. It's kind of phase two of that. If people want to help, like what can they do? Oh, man. Uh we don't have the model for it yet, but essentially we want to have something. We're going to set it up where you can purchase a water bottle, and then we have to figure out exactly what the cost is going to be on the water bottles and cost of shipping them and like getting them into the areas. But you'll be able to purchase a water bottle, and then we will be donating either one or more water bottles to the locals in the area. So, And when I say that, I mean like you buy one and one shows up in a remote war-torn village to be handed out to a local. Like the shoe shoe company model? Yeah, like, like Tom's you, you model. You get one, they get one. Yeah, but I think we could do more than one. We got to look and see. Cause, so the, the bottles are, they have a built-in water purifier. It's, I don't know if I can say that it's like a life straw, but it's basically like a life straw embedded <laughs> in the like, life straw. Life straw thing. Yeah. Right. It's a life straw esque purification system where they fill up the bottle and then they've got the purifier right in there to pull cool. the water out of. So, is it like filtration or is it ultraviolet? <laughs> no, it's filtration. Oh. Yeah, it's actually filtration. And they do, they last for, I have to look, but we figured it out. They should be lasting for about a year for one person's use. Wow. Um, We'll see how that goes. Kind of 
untested as far as like we haven't tested drinking oh. out of the sink. I'm sure we'll be talking about it more water. in the future. Is yeah, yeah, definitely. Things up and running. Yeah, so. I've got a, a lot of writing to do. I've got to sift through a bunch of pictures and video from being there. Um, but a lot of writing to do about what the people there are actually doing, not so much me showing up for a week at a time, but what they're continuing to do while we're gone. So I think it'll be good. Hopefully it's interesting to people. Cool. Thanks for letting us know, man. Yep. It's another episode of the Die Living Podcast coming at you from Softleet HQ. Join us next week for more awesome adventure. With Brian. With Brian. It was good to have all the boys together. Stories. The band back together. It's like we're not missing anybody. Like nobody's gone or no, deployed. definitely no one's deployed. All of the no one of note, people, I should yeah. say. All of the important people are here. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Everyone that matters at Softleet. Oh, <laughs> the twist end. on the knife. <laughs>